Welcome to Journey Church Podcast. It's great to have you with us. Here at Journey, we believe that Jesus should be accessible to anyone. So whether you're at home, work or somewhere in between, you can have access to the weekend's worship experience. If you want to further connect with us, you can find us online at journeyorl.com or any social media platform using at journeyorl. We hope you enjoy the message. I'm so excited about this sermon series that we've begun last Sunday called Fresh Air. I want to recap it really quickly for those who weren't here because I really do feel like it was one of the most important messages I've ever preached in my life. And I've been preaching for a long time. I've been preaching since I was 12 years old. I didn't even know what preaching was about when I was 12 years old. All the pastors took advantage of me. I was 12. I didn't need money. So they paid me in Kit Kats and, uh, and Skittles, and I just took it and I ran. I was just grateful I could tell somebody about Jesus. But preaching a long time, and it's definitely the most important message. And it's this. If you feel like your life is running out of energy, if you feel like your sails have lost the wind, if you feel like your passion for the things that you used to be passionate about, you aren't passionate about anymore, we want to give you a word that will encourage you to enjoy life again, to enjoy your marriage again, to enjoy your relationships again, to enjoy your job again, to enjoy waking up in the morning again. Yes, believe it or not, waking up in the morning could be something you enjoy uh, and going to bed at night and, and just enjoying being you, and sometimes the, we lose that in the, in the craziness of life. And we said, if you want that, here's the most important thing you can do. Understand how much God loves you. Because when you understand how much God loves you, then you fall more in love with God. And once you fall more in love with God, you fall more in love with life. I think if we summarized the message in one sentence, it was, you can't enjoy life if you don't enjoy God. Because everything else in life is circumstantial. Everything else in life is temporary. Nothing else in life is eternal but God. And so when you plant yourself in him, when you begin to get into circumstantial circumstances, <laughs> that's a phrase, then you're not afraid because you're rooted in the one who cannot be moved. And so if you missed it, make sure that you, uh, you listen to it because it's good. And so uh, in verse 19, it says, choose life. I think that's an interesting uh, declaration because life is not something you can choose. I mean per se, right? Nobody chose to be born, right? Like, I don't know how it works in heaven, but I do believe we all start out in heaven. And I, and I don't believe that there was somebody in heaven, you shouted louder than the person next to you in heaven. Like, God was like, all right, who am I going to throw down there next? And you're like, me, pick me, pick me. Like, I don't think that it works like that. And so when he talks about life, I have to imagine that he's not speaking about biological life. Because again, we didn't choose that. I think what he's talking about is a full life, a higher life, the, the upper life, a, a life of joy, a life of passion. He says, or Moses says, you can actually choose that, which is revelation to me because I often thought that the joy in my life was dependent upon the circumstances in my life. Anybody else been there? Right? When you've got zeros on the other side of the decimal point, it's a good day in your bank account. Like, it's a good day. When you've got a boyfriend or a girlfriend, it's a good day. Right? Or maybe you just got out of that, you're single, and it's a good day. I don't know what your situation is, where you're coming from. Or you got a home, and it's a good day. Like, like oftentimes, it's our happenings that determine our happiness. But what Moses here says is actually, you can choose to have joy. Choose to have peace. Choose to have passion. I really saw that firsthand with my, uh, my son Zane. My wife homeschools. We are a homeschooling family. And uh, if you watch her Instagram, you would think that they love homeschool. But it's because you only see the highlights. 
Let me encourage you, people who follow other people's Instagram accounts. You know, oh, they have the best life ever. Trust me, you are seeing the highlights. And so we, we show the highlights. We show the, the, yay, one, two, Rod jumped over the fox. And then we'll show that. What you don't see are the fits, are the throwings of erasers and toppling of furniture and... Uh, yeah, sometimes I get scared. I, I whip out the oil sometimes, and I just get real Pentecostal there and just, in the name of Jesus, whatever's inside of him, just get out. <laughs> that is, and, uh, and I remember one day in particular, he came down, and he has this thing. He, 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 first question he asks my wife when he wakes up in the morning is, what are we going to do today? And uh, he asks that because he knows it's going to be homeschool. And so she'll say, we'll do homeschool, and then he has another question. He says, but how many papers? Because that's how you measure a length of day. And in homeschool, you know, some days are three papers and some days are seven papers. And, and this day was a seven-paper day. And so she says, seven papers. No! He's on the floor. He's just crying. And then he said this. He said, he said when you give me seven papers... Because he, 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 it's hilarious. When you give me seven papers, he says, he says notice his vocabulary. Because right? there's a little five-year-old inside of every one of us. He says, you make me mad. Notice the way he worded that. In a very free of responsibility type of way. When you give me seven papers, you make me mad. And my wife in her divine wisdom said to him, I didn't. I don't, I don't make you mad. She said, you choose to be mad. And as I saw my son's frustration, suffering, and pain on his face, I asked myself the question, I wonder what percentage of the pain and frustration in our life is imposed on us, and I wonder what percentage of the pain and frustration in our life is what we choose. I wonder, I wonder because I, 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 get, I get feeling like you're the victim of a circumstance. I get feeling like you're the victim of, of a bad situation. And I'm, I'm sure the Israelites felt that way too. As we go into this passage, we are really stepping into a long speech and we're really stepping into the end of the speech. Moses is trying to tell them, he's trying to, he's trying to prepare them for the promise. They are about to cross the Jordan River, which is the promised land. And you might not have been in church long, but you know what the promised land is. That's the land that God had for them from the beginning of time where they were gonna grow and there was milk and there was honey and it was awesome. And, and he wants to prepare them for the promise by, by, by keeping them aware of the process. And so just by the way, just because God gave you a promise, your promise is not a get-out-of-jail-free card for your process. Just want you to know that. Because um, some people think, well, because God promised me something, I just got to sit there. And, and you no, know, sometimes there's a process behind the promise. And so Moses wants to tell the people, hey, listen, I'm not going to be with you. He's about to die. And he says, you're about to go into the promise, but there's going to be a process, and it's going to get hard, and you're going to want to quit, and you're going to want to leave. But when you do, just remember, you have a choice. You can choose to inherit the thing that God wants to give you, or you can choose to be scared and run away. And now Moses proves his point through an illustrated sermon, if you will. He's a storyteller, and we're in Deuteronomy chapter 31. For the last 31 chapters, he's been telling a story. He's been telling a story about a rebellious people, about a people who did not choose life, about a people who chose death. And in any other circumstance, it'd be a great story. You'd probably be listening with your popcorn. Oh, that's an awesome story. The reason why this is not an awesome story is because the people that he's talking about are their parents. He's talking about their moms. Don't you be talking about my mama, Moses. Talking about their dads. Don't you be talking about my pops, Moses. 
He's talking about all the bad choices they made in the desert throughout the 40 years. So not one of that generation is alive, to give you some of the background. All of them have died in the desert or passed away because they were rebellious, they were complaining about the things that God uh, was putting them through in the desert. And so God said, fine, none of you will get into the promised land. Your kids will, but you won't. And so, so Moses is retelling this story uh, to their children. And I got to imagine that it puts, that it puts these, uh, these 30-year-olds, these 40-year-olds in an awkward position because they don't want to betray God. They want to understand what Moses is saying, but at the same time, they empathize with the circumstances of their parents because they lived through it. Right? And so, and so Moses is telling them, don't be like your mom and your dad. They had a choice. You have a choice. But, but it didn't feel like they had a choice. For example, the very first trial that the Israelites felt when they got out of uh, Egypt was there was no water because it was a desert. And then water in the desert. And so they start complaining about the water and God gets so mad. And I can understand why God gets so mad because he's like, water, really? Water is the thing you think I have no control of? You mean when I took you out of Egypt and I made the water stand to attention? And then when the, when the Egyptians came in, I made the water fall in? You mean I could do that, but you don't think I can provide some Fiji? You don't think I can provide some Zephyr Hills, some Poland Springs? You don't think I can provide some small water? You don't think I'm controlling the water? And, 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 and these kids are there, now these 30, 40-year-olds, they're there, and they're listening to Moses' story about how they, how they didn't trust God and how they didn't trust God for the water. And a part of them is thinking, yeah, I want to trust God, but the thing is, I was there, Moses, and I remember going to bed thirsty. I remember not being able to cook our food because we didn't have enough water. And so, and so here up, Moses, you're saying that we had a choice, but let me tell you, in the middle of the desert, it doesn't feel like you have a choice. It sure doesn't feel like you have a choice. And then Moses goes up to the mountain for 40 days, but he didn't tell them when he was going to come back. He said, I'm going to go, I'm going to go talk to God and I'll be back. That was the last thing he said. And he left for 40 days. They didn't know if he was going to come back. The Bible says they thought he died. And so they found a new leader and they created a new God out of two golden calves. And they started worshiping those things. And I can imagine if you were to ask them, why did you do that? They would have said, we had no choice. Moses was gone. We were running out of resources. We didn't have a leader. We had to do what we had to do. And then they got uh, uh, to, the, to, to Jericho, and they, and they saw all the giants, and, and, and they got scared, and they ran away. Listen, we're not fighters. We're shepherds. We're, we're farmers. We don't, we're not warriors. We can't fight those guys. We have no choice but to surrender. I want you to know that in the situations that it feels like you don't have a choice, remember, you do have a choice. Especially then, especially then you have to know. Because it's in those situations that we tend to make some of the worst decisions of our lives. You have a choice. And I, and I would understand their position if they weren't, if the Jewish people weren't under persecution ever again in their existence. It just so happened that they were. A couple thousand years later, there would be another group of people persecuting the Jewish community. And it wouldn't be the Hivites or the Perizzites or the Jebusites or the cellulites or the couldn't get couldn't get rid of those stubborn stubborn people um now this group of people went by a different name they went by the nazis the nazis persecuted the jewish people and uh, there was a couple of survivors who got to share their story and there was one survivor in particular i want to share his story with you today his name was victor frankel victor frankel victor frankel was a young man who survived the torture camps of the Holocaust, and when he survived, he became someone who helped other people, uh, became a psychologist, became an author, very famous writer, and uh, he says this, that's his picture on the screen, he says this, 
forces beyond your control can take away everything you possess except one thing, your freedom to choose how you will respond to the situation. How amazing is that? I know we're not going through what he went through, but in the midst of what he went through, he said, you know what? A lot was taken from me. I didn't have a lot of choice, but you know what I did have to choose? I had the choice to not be bitter. I had the choice to choose forgiveness over unforgiveness. I had the choice to choose love over hate. I want you to know this. Just because you don't have control over your circumstances doesn't mean you have to let your circumstances have control over you. Don't. You don't. You don't. I know it's tough and I know it's hard and I know it's not easy, but you have a choice. I was watching a movie with my wife uh, the other day. It was a Netflix kind of night, and, uh, and we were, uh, it was this movie with magic and, like, sorcerers and, like, animals. I think it was that Fantastic Beast thing. I can't remember exactly, but we're watching it, and there's all this crazy stuff going on, magic stuff. But the thing that my wife could not believe was not all the magic, was not the magic monsters or anything. The thing she couldn't believe was in the middle of the night, the lead, who's a woman, she wakes up at, like, 3 in the morning because a monster runs into her room. She wakes up. And Liz is looking at it. She goes, I can't believe it. I'm like, the monster, right? She goes, no. You expect me to believe she woke up with her hair like that? She said, you expect me to believe she woke up with perfect makeup like that? Now, the women know. All of you young guys, you'll find out. The woman you meet today. Is not the woman you will wake up to. In the morning, eyelashes will be coming off. <laughs> Layers of makeup will be wiped off. Hair will fall in different ways. Um, and, and I share that to, to, to share that with any, any young woman who looks at a beautiful woman with makeup. And you think they just woke up like that? You're wrong. Uh, they had to do some work before they left the house. And I want you to know, because you probably know somebody in your life who just has an awesome smile, who's awesome. Caitlin's like that. Just always joy, always happy. You feel like that person just woke up like that. And it gets me mad. I'm mad at you, Caitlin, because I feel like, how is it that you just wake up like that? It's not fun. It's not fair. But I want to tell you a secret that they would never tell you. Nobody wakes up like that. They adjust themselves before they leave. That smile is not something they just woke up in the morning. Because, and I want you to know this because the word I give you today is not a word that I want you to forget. It's a word I want you to implement on your Monday. Tomorrow you might wake up on the wrong side of the bed. And when you do, I want you to remember this. You don't have to leave your house the way you woke up. You don't have to leave your house the way you woke up. You can fix it. Well, I just had a bad, I just had a bad day. It's 7.30, bro. What happened from 7 a.m. to 7.30 that ruined your day? Well, I just woke up on the wrong side of the bed. Well, next time sleep on the other side of the bed. No, just... You can adjust it. Your attitude is under your control. You have some choices. And so here's what I want you to do. I want you to make three choices every, every time you wake up. Are you ready? Three choices every time you wake up in the morning. By the way, when we give you those connection cards, those worship guides, I know some people have been coming to church for, the while, for a while, like I already filled out this. Why do I get this? It's so you can take notes on the back. So take notes. On three choices you have to make. All right, every morning when you wake up in order to really enjoy life to the fullest, all right, outside of understanding how much God loves you because that's the beginning. After that, here we go. Choice number one, choose to appreciate life. Write that down. Choose to appreciate life. Appreciate it. Do you know the odds of you being you, like of you existing, of you being here? Let me put it in perspective, okay? In order for you to be here, your parents, out of 10,000s of years of human history, had to be born at the same time in human history. 
Then, out of the six billion people in the world, they had to find each other. Then they had to like each other. Then they had to get married to each other and choose to have you. Not only that, in order for them to have had you, they would have had to have been there, which means their parents faced the same probabilities. But then after they found you and after they chose to have you, when they made you, we're going to get a little biological here, okay? When they made you, there were 200 million cells that left your father's body encountering 2 million female egg cells. I want you to know this. You are the product of one of 200 million cells connecting with one of 2 million cells. And if, if there was any other combination, you wouldn't be here. Scientists crunch the numbers, and the odds are this, 400 trillion to one that you are here today. To put that in perspective, I want you to imagine that we, that we found 2 million people, and we put them in, in the world's biggest coliseum. 2 million people. And we each gave them a dice. But that dice didn't have six sides like your normal dice. That dice had 1 trillion sides. They all get one roll. And they all rolled a number seven on one try. Those are the odds of you being here. You don't even have to believe in God to be amazed at the fact that you're you. But if you did, it would compound a whole nother layer of amazingness and awesomeness to your understanding of you being here. Because the Bible says in Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 9, I knew you before, I, I knew you before you were born. Before you were born, I consecrated you. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. What does that mean? That means if you don't believe in God, it's amazing that you're here because it's it's 400 trillion and one, one out of 400 trillion. But if you believe in God, that means that you are not the result of probability. That means, God, I pray you show this to them like you showed it to me. That means God had 400 trillion choices. He chose you. What? 400 trillion. That means he went through them all and said, nope, 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 Yes, right there. That one right there with the big ears and the sharp nose and that one right there. That's the one I want, the one that can't sing, the one with the acne, that one. That's the one I want right there. He chose you. 400 trillion options and he chose you. But let's not stop there. That's just the probability of you being, of you being born. But what about the probability of you being here? Add on to that all the things that you've survived to get to this point from the moment you've been born. Add to that. The Bible says in Psalms, though a thousand fall at your side and 10,000 fall at your right, none of that will come near to you. In other words, how many of your friends are not here today? How many opportunities were there? I was hanging out with, with, with somebody in church. I feel like I've known, him, I've known him for like the last 10 years. We're just hanging out at the coffee shop. He goes, yeah, yeah, I showed my son my bullet hole yesterday. I'm like, what? He's like, yeah, back when I was in Puerto Rico, I got shot. I was like, what? Right? Just a couple of inches left would have been gone. When I was uh, 10 years old, I got hit by a truck riding my bike. A couple inches would have been gone. Liz got into a car accident when she was in her early 20s, and a, and a pole from the street broke through the window of her, of, her, of, her, of her car, and it stopped right there, just a couple inches to the right. So forget the probability of you just being born, but then you being here, and with all of that, we have the audacity to complain about life. You mean that 400 trillion to one odds life? The one, that's the life you're complaining about? But you know why we can't appreciate why we're here? 
We can't appreciate that we're here because like the Israelites, here is living in the shadow of there. They're in the desert and they're so upset that they're not in the promised land yet that they can't appreciate the fact that they're here. And so we're here, but we're upset because we're not there. And we look at there and we go, God, I want to go there. And I'm upset. Why won't you let me go there? Why am I still here? Listen, I don't want to stay here either. I want to go there. But instead of looking at here as, as me not yet there, what if I look at here as him taking me out of back there? Yeah, you're in the desert, but you used to be a slave. Come on, instead of looking forward at the place that you've yet to get to, why don't you look back at all the things God took you through? I'm glad I'm here. Sure, I'm not there yet. I want to get there. I'm hoping God one day will get me there. But I will not let the fact that I am not yet there steal my joy from the fact that he got me out of back there. I'm here. And I'm here and I'm glad that I'm here. Be happy that you're here. Because a million things could have happened that would have kept you from being here. Wake up in the morning and say, I choose to appreciate my life. I choose to appreciate that I'm here. Second important decision you can make, listen, and it comes out of appreciation. It's not just appreciating the, the place that you are, but it's also appreciating the people in your life. Number one, choose to appreciate life. Number two, choose to love the people in your life. And if the reason why you can't appreciate here is because you're not yet there, let me tell you, the reason why you can't love the people who are here or the people you have is because you're too busy trying to love the people who you wish that they were. But you do not have the people who you wish that they were. You know all the people that you wish that they were? They're not there. They left you. They're out. The people who are here are the people who are here. And they're not perfect, and they got issues, and they got struggles, but they're here. Why don't you just love them for who they are and not who you want them to be? You know how much freedom you would have in your life if you just loved people for who they are and not who you wanted them to be? I'm so grateful that God loved me for who I am and not who he wanted me to be. Could you imagine that? Well, JJ, I can't really be in a relationship with you. Why? Because I know who you can be and you're not that person. So if you get there, then I'll die for you on the cross. But he didn't do that, did he? No. He chose to carry the cross when I was who I was. He saw who I could be in me, but he didn't let who I was keep me from becoming the person who he saw I could be. Love the people in your life who are there and love them for who they are and you are at peace. And I know it's difficult, especially with the difficult people. Come on, somebody say amen to that. There are difficult people in our lives. It's hard to love just regular people. It's hard to love just regular people, okay? Loving the people who hurt you, loving the people who betrayed you, I get that. But if you don't figure out how to do that, you will be miserable for the rest of your life. Why? Only a handful of people hurt me. Yeah, but if only that influence could be limited to a handful of people. You don't just limit your, your skepticism and your cynicism of people to the people who hurt you. That skepticism and that cynicism carries on into your perspective of every other person you meet. And so if it was just three people who hurt you and the three people you have something against, that's fine. But unfortunately, it's not the way it works. We allow three or four people to hurt us, and then, and then after they hurt us, we said we're going to carry that hurt into every other relationship that we have. But don't do it. Let me tell you this way. Don't let the way people treat you determine how you treat other people. Don't do it. Don't do it. 
Don't do it. I know you want to, because, but it will hurt you. you will, it will hurt every relationship that you have. You will not be able to encourage people because you will feel discouraged. You will not be able to love people because you will feel hated. You will not be able to accept people because you will feel rejected. You got to get healed from that. And if there's anybody here today who is struggling with that bitterness, let me tell you what the Bible tells you to do. Forgive. It is time to forgive because you cannot love other people if you do not forgive other people. It's not going to work. It does not line up. Sorry. And, and I love Jesus' perspective on forgiveness because he doesn't give those people who hurt you a pass. This is what he says. This is what he says. He talks about debt. I love that passage. Matthew 6, verse 12. And forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. In other words, he's saying, because a lot of people think forgiveness is pretending like what a person did to you didn't, ha- didn't happen. Let me just pretend like it. Just forget about it. I believe in forgiveness. I don't believe about forgive and forget. I can't. I'm human. It's not the way God created me. I'm sorry. And I don't think God asks us to forget. He says, you know what? They're debtors. They owe you. What you're doing is not saying, oh, you know what? You don't owe me money. No, what they're saying is what you did against me was wrong. What you did against me hurt. You owe me. There are people in our lives that we're looking at right now saying, you owe me for what you did when I was a child. You owe me for what you did to me when I was in college. You owe me for what you did to me during my marriage. You owe me for what you did to me in that last relationship. God is saying, that's okay. You owe me, but here's forgiveness, but I cancel the debt that you owe me. And you say, well, that's not fair. Nobody ever did that for me. Oh, really? I can think of one person who canceled every single debt in your life, who looked at you broken with mistakes and bad choices and said, it's okay canceled. But that's not fair. That's okay. That's why they call it forgiveness. Canceled. It doesn't have to be fair. But it's just. Listen, we can't, we can't allow, we can't treat people poorly because of all the hatred and, and, and poor attention that we have felt from others. Instead of, uh, instead of being the microphone for all the pain that you've experienced in your life, what if what if you were the microphone for all the grace you experienced in your life? What if you were a microphone for all the mercy you experienced in your life? And you just channeled that grace and mercy that you experienced through the love of Christ into other people, huh? Huh? Here's what the Bible says. He says, love other people, John 13, 34. So now I am giving you a new commandment. Love each other just as what? As I have loved you, you should love others. He says, don't use... Don't use the way other people treated you to be your blueprint for the way you treat others. Look at the way I treated you. Look at the way I saw you. Look at the way I chose you. Look at the way I picked you. Look at the way my love for you extended. And let that be your blueprint for the way you love others. Forgiveness is the only option. If not, we will carry bitterness and poison every relationship we get into. Poison it. Poison it. I try and tell couples who are on the brink of divorce, I'm telling you, listen, if you end this marriage, please don't think that the next one is going to be better. There are things in this marriage that need to be resolved, that need to be fixed, that need to be healed, or else you're just going to carry it into the next one. You're going to carry it on the next one. Forgiveness is the thing that God wants us to do in our life and experience, and we do that, and we understand God's love for us, which brings us to the last choice, and, and I feel like it's an important choice that you have to make every morning. So when you wake up, choose to appreciate life. I'm serious. When you get up in the morning, I don't care what your face looks like. I don't care what side of the bed. I don't care if it's a good hair day or a bad hair day or medium hair day. I don't care what pimples have produced and what 
have, have popped when you were sleeping, and I don't care. Three choices. Choose to appreciate life today. Choose to appreciate. I choose it. It's a choice. I choose to love people. Okay? And another thing on loving people, you don't forgive somebody just once. You know what that verse I read, Matthew 6, 12, it comes from the Lord's Prayer. The prayer that we're supposed to pray every day. You got to forgive people every day. Because every day when you wake up, bitterness is waiting at your front door. So you wake up in the morning and say, I choose to love people, especially the people who are tough to love. Because Christ loved me and I know it's tough to love me. Here's the third thing you got to say, and I'll give you the passage first. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7. Here's what it says. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Here's the most, one of the most important choices you can make. Listen, choose not to worry. Write that down. Choose not to worry. Choose not to be anxious. Choose not to worry. Choose not to be anxious. That is a choice. Did you know worry was a choice? You think, well, no, worry is a product of my circumstance. I got a mortgage payment that just came in the mail. And that was not a choice. I, I feel you. I feel you. But your worry is your choice. Your response to that mortgage payment. Your response to that diagnosis from the doctor. Your response to that breakup. Your response to that, that betrayal. That is your choice. And why is that our choice? And why can we cast it on him? Why? Because he cares for us. I played this game with Zane. Um, I throw him in the air. And I catch him. 100% of the time. Never have once dropped him. I've been doing this game with him since he was a baby. He used to love it when he was a baby. All babies love that game. Then when he got older, he started to realize the floor is right there. He didn't love it so much. So the other day I threw him up and I caught him. And when I caught him, he said, don't do that. I said, why? He said, you almost dropped me, daddy. I said, bro. I call my kids bro. I said, bro. I said, have I ever dropped you? He said, no. So why would I drop you now? I said, don't you know daddy loves you? And then I, I'm a big believer in speaking, so I make him repeat it. I said, repeat after me. Daddy will not drop me. Daddy will not drop me. Say it louder. <laughs> daddy will not drop me. Daddy will not drop me because he loves me. Because he loves me. Say it again. Daddy will not drop me. Daddy will not drop me because he loves me. Because he loves me. One more time. Daddy will not drop me. Daddy will not drop me because he loves me. Because he loves me. Do you know how much God loves you? Do you think that he stepped out of heaven onto earth for 30 years, suffered for three years, had to deal with disciples who thought he was crazy, for carried a cross? Do you think that he took nails in his hands, crowns of thorns on his head? Do you think he took a spear in his side and beatings to his face? Do you think he went through, do you think he spent three days in hell? Do you think he went through all of that, listen to me, just to drop you? Just to drop you? He's not going to drop you. And has he ever dropped you before? And so I cast my care on the Lord. Not because I know what my future holds, but because I know who holds my future. I know that the one who threw me up is faithful to catch me. I know that even though it feels like there's no one there and I got no basis to my life, I know that when I come down, I'm going to come down into the loving arms and embrace of a father 
who will not let me fall. He will not let me fall. He will not let me fall. Thanks so much for joining us today. We hope you've been blessed and encouraged by this message. We'd love to know how this ministry is touching your life. If you would like to share your testimony or if you have any prayer requests, please email us amen at journeyorl.com where we'll have a team of people ready to celebrate with you and pray with you. Also, if you would like to help support the ministry of Journey Church in a financial way, you can do so by visiting journeyorl.com and choosing the giving option or text journeyorl to 77977. We hope you'll join us again soon. Have a great week.